Today's podcast is brought to you by newspapers.com, the ultimate destination for exploring the mysteries of the past. If you're fascinated by true crime, get ready to dive into the stories that made headlines. Newspapers.com offers a billion pages of historical newspapers from the U.S. and beyond, and you can search the entire collection in seconds. Their vast newspaper collection is a goldmine for eyewitness accounts, crime scene photos, news reports, and more. Whether you're interested in famous crimes or long-forgotten cases, Newspapers.com gives you a front-row seat to more than 300 years of history. For our listeners, Newspapers.com has a special offer. Use the code CUPOFMURDER for an exclusive 20% discount on your subscription. That's promo code CUPOFMURDER at Newspapers.com. Sign up today and start unraveling the true crime mysteries that keep you up at night. There were two more murders 15 miles when away. When arrived, they found the telephone we have a, and electricity lines. The weird described by one investigator as reminiscent of a weird religion. Morning. Some mysteries may never be solved. On July 11th, 1996, a Canadian man was found dead in Knoxville, Tennessee. A death that still to this day remains unsolved and with very little to go on, may remain that way. So if you like your coffee hot, but your bones chilled, sit back and start your day with a morning cup of murder. On July 7th, 1996, Surrey, British Columbia resident, Robert Dennis Blair Adams, who went by Blair, began his day with a series of strange decisions. He began by going to his bank, withdrawing almost all of his money, and emptying his safe deposit box of all of its cash, jewelry, gold, and platinum. He then took his money and valuables and tried to board the ferry that would take him from Victoria to Seattle, Washington. But when immigration took a look at Blair and what he was carrying, they flagged him as a potential drug dealer attempting to cross the border and held him while they looked into his record. Once they saw that he did have an old drug charge on his record, they promptly denied his entrance and sent him away. The following day, Blair arrived at the construction company he worked for and promptly quit, then spent $1,600 on a round-trip flight from Vancouver to Frankfurt, Germany that would leave the next day. He then went to a friend's house and explained that he had a dire need to get across the border, that someone was trying to kill him. In the early hours of July 9th, the day he was supposed to fly to Germany, Border Patrol caught him trying to cross the border on foot on the Pacific Highway border crossing. He had scratches on his hands and legs, and officers determined that he looked a lot like the man who had recently been implicated in a car theft, a car that was abandoned near where Blair was trying to enter the United States. He denied his involvement and was released due to lack of evidence. Finally, on July 10, 1996, Blair successfully rented a vehicle from the Vancouver International Airport and made his way into Seattle. Now, I need to note that in some research, it did state that it was in Seattle that he bought the ticket to Germany, not Vancouver. Either way, a ticket to Frankfurt, Germany was purchased. Blair was familiar with the area, as he had worked there with his stepfather's construction company and even dated a woman there though she had no idea Blair had purchased a ticket and the two had no plans for a visit. He then took that ticket to Germany and traded it in for a one-way ticket to Washington, D.C. Once in Washington, he rented a Toyota Camry from the airport around 6.45 a.m. and drove to Troy, Virginia. It was there that he got into a minor car accident, dealt with it, and drove off in a hurry. By the night of July 10th, Blair was 500 miles away from where he began the day in Knoxville, Tennessee, 
a place where, according to friends and family, he had no connections. He was first sighted at a gas station at around 5.30 p.m., where, according to the interstate repair service driver who had been called, Blair was claiming he was unable to get into the rental car. Except when the man assessed the situation, he realized Blair was trying to get into a Camry with the keys to the Nissan that he had abandoned in Seattle. He told Blair to look in his pockets, that there must be another key. But Blair insisted that this was the key he drove to Tennessee with. So they arranged to have the Camry towed and the man dropped Blair Adams off at the Fairfield Inn in Knoxville. Blair arrived and can be seen on the CCTV footage from the lobby loitering around the hotel for about 40 minutes before purchasing a room for $100 and leaving the lobby before the woman could even hand him his change. He never entered the room he bought and, unfortunately, was never seen alive again. Around 7.30 a.m. on July 11th, 1996, Blair Adams' dead body was found in the parking lot of an under-construction hotel just outside of Knoxville. His pants were off and lying near his body with his shoes and socks and his shirt open. Scattered around his body was $4,000 worth of German, Canadian, and U.S. currency, as well as a black duffel bag containing maps, travel receipts, and a fanny pack holding five ounces of gold bars, gold and platinum, jewelry, keys, and a pair of sunglasses. Also at the scene was the rental car he swore he didn't have. From what investigators could surmise, Adam was attacked sometime around 3.30 a.m. A construction worker claimed to have heard a scream around that time, though he believed it was a woman's voice, not a man's. Adam suffered from a number of cuts and abrasions, possibly from fighting off his attacker. A wound to his forehead determined to come from a crowbar or club, and a blow that ruptured his stomach. His official cause was sepsis stemming from the abdominal perforation. Due to the nature of his body, there was also speculation that he had been sexually assaulted, though there was very little evidence to confirm this theory. The only physical evidence found on Blair's body was a single strand of long hair gripped in his hand. Investigators soon learned of all the strange behavior Blair exhibited in the days leading up to his death. But as those close to him said, he never explained who or what was bothering him. But just that, according to Blair, someone was out to get him and had been spreading rumors about him. He had been sober for two years at the time of his death, so inebriation really wasn't a factor, but had recently stopped attending his AA meetings. And with that, Blair Adams' case ran cold. There were no known suspects, and since none of his money had been stolen, a random robbery was completely ruled out. Every theory they had soon hit a dead end. The only clue they had was the presence of a man with Blair at a few of the restaurants in Knoxville that he stopped at. A sketch was released, but no hits came from it. And that hair grasped in his hands didn't match any DNA in their system. Blair Adams, it seemed, wasn't imagining the danger he was in. A danger that violently took his life. Thank you for joining me in my morning cup of murder. Please join me again tomorrow to hear what terrible thing happened on July 12th. Don't forget to rate and subscribe and let me know how you like it. If you want to help support the podcast, there is always Patreon or just sharing it with your true crime obsessed friends. And remember, stay safe.
Thank you for listening to Morning Cup of Murder. This is a daily podcast that tells you what happened on this day in true crime history. In short, easy to listen to episodes that you can finish on your commute or while you enjoy your morning coffee. So make sure you check back every morning. My name is Karina. I am the creator and host. You can find Morning Cup of Murder on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. I have also set up a Patreon where you can donate a small monthly contribution to the podcast. All those links are in the episode description. Thank you again and have a wonderful day.